Hello and welcome to Trails Worth Hiking, the show that brings you some of the most interesting backpacking and trekking routes in the world. I'm your host, Jeremy Pendry. In the first part of the show, we bring you the story and history of a trail. Then we tell you what it's like to hike the trail and how you can do it. This is a special episode. In late 2021, I had a significant birthday. Let's just say it was a big round number. As a result of that birthday, I decided that in 2022, I would do a multi-day outdoor adventure every month of the year. Well, how did that work out? I backpacked the coast, foothills, mountains, and desert, and there was an international trip thrown into boot. I stayed in a tent, a tent cabin, B&Bs, Airbnbs, guest houses, inns, and hotels. I hiked solo, with friends, and with family. Was I able to pack 12 trips into one year? We'll see. On this episode of Trails Worth Hiking, you get a lot more for your time, as we see if I was able to do 12 hikes in 12 months. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to the show, thanks for listening as well. Normally on the show, we cover one particular hike, and we go into depth on the background and history of that trail and have a guest who's hiked the trail, if I haven't hiked it myself, or I can talk about it as well, if I have. And those episodes tend to go into the background and history and geology and interesting stories about the area where the hike is, and then cover step-by-step how you would actually do that hike through talking to the person who hiked the trail. On this episode, we are doing something a little different, as I mentioned in the intro, and I'll talk about that a little bit more after we do our Walking the Walk segment. On the Walking the Walk segment, we feature listeners who were inspired by an episode to actually go out and hike one of these trails and then went and did it. So recently, I was contacted by Deepak Awashti from New Delhi, India. Deepak was so excited to tell me about the trip he had taken that he learned about on the show that he actually wrote to me from the airport during his layover on his way home. Deepak hiked the Kumano Kodo in Japan, which we covered on episode 25. Deepak said that at least 10 Japanese people that he met during his trip, asked how he had learned about the trail, and he told them all about the podcast. So thank you, Deepak, for spreading the word about trails worth hiking. Deepak did the Nakahechi route, which is the same route that our guest on that episode, Sam Peck, had hiked. Deepak said there is a Kumano Kodo preparation Facebook page that he checked out and used, and there are super helpful people in that group that answer questions you might have if you're thinking of doing the Kamano Kodo. He used Kamano Travels to book his accommodations along the way. As a reminder, this trek in Japan is one where you stay in guest houses along the way. He said that everything went well except that Kamano Travels hadn't booked his boat ride on day four, and that needed to be booked in advance, so that created a little bit of difficulty. I haven't hiked this trail, so I'm not 100% sure what he's referring to, but I think what he means is that after finishing the trail, 
Uh, he needed return travel to another location and he was planning to take a boat and that had not been booked. So he had to improvise there, but seems like everything turned out okay. He said he had perfect weather for hiking. He said it was two to four degrees Celsius in the mornings and evenings. So in the mid to high 30s Fahrenheit, but the days were bright and sunny. So thanks to Deepak for letting me know about his trip. It is emails like these that keep me going, so keep them coming. If you listen to episode 31 about Ausangate and Rainbow Mountain in Peru, you might recall that my guest, Gary Black, asked me toward the end of the episode why I do the show, and I gave an answer that you can hear on that episode. But I have to say that hearing from you guys, the listeners who are actually going out and hiking these trails after we cover them on the show, that is why I'm doing the show. That is my reward. The goal of this show is to add adventure and wonder to all of our lives and to create some lasting memories. And it's great to see that people are out there doing that. So thanks to Deepak for telling me about his hike. If you were inspired by the show to hike a particular trail that we covered, reach out to me and tell me about it at trailsworthhiking at gmail.com. I'd love to feature you on this Walking the Walk segment. I've also from time to time done what I've called the answering the inbox segment, which is if somebody has a particular question about trekking or backpacking that they think might uh, be valuable to others to learn about as well, I'm happy to respond. I'll respond by email first, but I'm happy to also respond on the show if, if it's a question that I think others might benefit from the answer to. All right, so let's now turn to this episode. So I had decided to do 12 hikes in 12 months. So what were the rules of my challenge to myself? First, each hike had to be multiple days of hiking, of back-to-back days. So it could be as few as two days, but had to be at least two days, not just one day hike. I wanted to have the sense of being a hiker out there continuing a trip. And so for me, that requires more than one day, as you've probably heard me say, on previous episodes, which is why I cover multi-day hikes on this show. So these trips didn't have to be camping trips, but I couldn't be at home. So back-to-back days of day hiking from my own home didn't count. I needed to be out on an adventure away from home. And that was about it for rules. As I said, I did this because I had a big birthday. And when you get to a certain age, you start to realize that there's really no reason to wait to do the things you want to do in life and that waiting means you're not doing them. And so I decided there's no reason to continue waiting to do some of these hikes I wanted to do and to get out more, which is important to me. Also, as I've probably mentioned on the show, my wife and I now have an empty nest. We have one child who's finished college and is on her own and another in college. And what that means is I have more time to do these kinds of trips. Some of these were hikes I'd wanted to do for a long time. Others were places I loved to go and wanted to go back to, maybe see them in a slightly different way. Others were just convenient because I needed a hike each month. Even though I had been to some of the places that I went to, none of these hikes were an exact repeat of a hike I had done before. They were all either trails that were new to me or at a minimum, a route that had an additional feature that I hadn't hiked before. 
That wasn't a rule. It just kind of worked out that way. And that's as you might expect. I always do try to add something new to my experience on a hiking trip, even if it's a familiar route. I should say before I jump into each of these hikes that I know that for some people, this isn't really that much hiking. If you're a younger person that goes backpacking constantly, you might do a half dozen trips over a summer. But as you may have heard me say in a prior episode, I didn't start backpacking and doing multi-day hikes until I was an adult. So for most of my adult life, I have not had the time to do that many trips in a short amount of time. I've typically gone a few times a year. And I usually try to plan at least one fairly big trip thrown in there somewhere during the year if possible. But I had never done 12 trips in a year before, or anything close to that really. So for me, this was a pretty big undertaking. But I ended up loving it. And it actually was a lot more fun than difficult. So with that, let's get into it. In January 2022, I went backpacking in Point Reyes National Seashore here in Northern California that's a little bit north of the San Francisco Bay Area. Point Reyes National Seashore is run by the National Park Service, even though it's a national seashore and not a national park. It has four designated backcountry camp areas. I have camped at all four of those areas multiple times over the years. Point Reyes has a lot of hiking trails. It's sort of a mix of chaparral, mountainous forest, coastal bluffs, and beaches. It's really a great place for first backpacking trips. In fact, we took our kids there many times, and my son Justin's first backpacking trip when he was three years old was to Point Reyes. So I have lots of great memories of hiking there. Point Reyes is a great place to go year-round, but I typically don't go there in the summer, not because it's not a good place to be in the summer, but because that's mountain hiking season here in California. And when it's summer and the snow is melted, I take advantage of going to the higher elevation places rather than the coast. So for this trip, I ended up doing a three-day, two-night trip in Point Reyes with my friend Tony Wong. We did a loop hike starting at Bear Valley Visitor Center, which is the main visitor center at Point Reyes. And we hiked over Mount Wittenberg to Coast Camp, which is one of the backpacking camps. And I should mention that what's great about these backpacking camps and what makes this a great place for beginning backpackers is you have designated campsites. So you know where you're going to be camping and you know you'll have a good spot. You have a picnic table at your site. You have a locker to store food safe from animals. There's a well available in each of the camp areas so that you can pump water. There is also a pit toilet in each camp area. So it's a little bit like car camping without the cars being able to get access to it in the sense that you have a designated area, you have water, you have a bathroom, all of those things. In any event, the first day we went to Coast Camp, which is, as the name implies, right on the coast a beautiful location up against Limantour Beach, which is just a stunning area. As far as the route, we took the Mount Wittenberg Trail to the Sky Trail to the Woodward Valley Trail to the Coast Trail, which was about a six-mile hike to get into our camp. The next day, we hiked the Coast Trail to the Glen Trail and from there to the Glen Camp Loop, and we stayed in Glen Camp. 
Glen Camp, I think most people probably think of it as their least favorite of the Point Reyes camps because it's not on the coast and doesn't have a view of the coast. There are two camps along the coast, one that is up higher but has a view of the coast. Glen Camp is sort of in the forest, but I find it to be a nice, peaceful location and a great place to spend one of the nights you're there. And then our third day, we went from Glen Camp along the Glen Trail to the Bear Valley Trail to return back to the Bear Valley Visitor Center, which is about four and a half miles the third day. I'd guess that our total mileage for the three days, and really we're talking about two half days with a longer day in the middle, was about 18 miles or so. We had some light rain on the hike in. There were pretty chilly and dewy nights and a bit of wind, uh, at least along the coast. But the second and third days were pretty beautiful, very sunny, and we had great coastal hiking the second day, which was a hike south along the coast. We had a view of Alamir Falls, which is a really neat waterfall that flows in the rainy season over the cliffs onto the beach, and that's south of Wildcat Camp. But along the hike, you could see it, even though we weren't going to go all the way to Wildcat Camp, which was one of the other camps, but not one we stayed at. You could see the Farallon Islands in the distance off the coast of Point Reyes, which is beautiful. And there were quite a few day hikers and backpackers out there, but um, not so many that it felt crowded, just enough that you saw people now and then. And keep in mind, this is January. So it's great to be able to go backpacking in the middle of winter and have some beautiful weather and to be on the coast. Someday there will be an episode on Point Reyes. There's a lot to talk about there. It's a fantastic place particularly for newer backpackers. And it's a place, as I said, that I keep going back to. The route I did and just described is one I would recommend, but there are other options such as an all-coastal north-to-south hike staying at Coast Camp and Wildcat Camp or vice versa would be a great hike as well. Okay, February. In February, I went to Henry Coe State Park. This is one of California's largest state parks. It's actually, I think, the second largest behind Anza Borrego Desert State Park. It is in the California Coast Range, which is not right on the coast, despite the name. It's a little bit inland, east of Morgan Hill and Gilroy, south of the San Francisco Bay Area, a little bit south of San Jose. As I said, it's a big park. In Henrico, you can hike for days or even a week. It's a surprisingly wild area with serious up and down. There's lots of camping close to the park headquarters that is in specified sites that you can sign up for once you arrive. But there's also lots of dispersed camping that goes beyond the sort of closer region to the headquarters. In this park, February to May is the best time to be hiking because after that, it gets really hot in these hills So you really don't want to be hiking there after May, and there's probably not going to be enough water available after that time period either. I find Henry Coe to be a really great place to get a good warm-up hike in for the Sierra in the summer. So if you're someone who likes alpine hiking in the summer and is waiting for the snow to melt, a place like Henry Coe State Park is fantastic for getting yourself in shape for that and getting in a great hike to boot. I had planned this hike for three days and two nights and ended up only doing it for two days and one night, and I'll explain. So first of all, this was a solo hike. I went by myself, and I had been having some issues with my back, which has happened to me from time to time over the years, and it got worse during that first day, and I ended up 
being in a pretty remote campsite where if something had gone wrong during the middle of the night with my back, it would have been a real problem. That didn't happen. And it just stayed a little bit painful and never got to a point where I couldn't function. But as a result of this trip, I went out and bought a Garmin InReach Mini 2 so that when I did future solo hikes, I would have an option to bail out if a true emergency occurred. But in any event, I did end up covering most of the ground I had planned to cover, but because my back wasn't feeling well, uh, I did it in two days rather than three, which may sound counterintuitive to hike longer over two days, but it just prevented me risking staying out another night. So the hike I did was one where I went north from the park headquarters on Hobbs Road, which is a dirt road trail, and ended up camping at the site called Sada Spring. That's about four and a half to five miles in. And then the next day, I went up on Blue Ridge Road, which is a another dirt road trail, kind of a fire road along a ridge that has a really beautiful view of most of the park. I was hiking east and came down the Jackass Trail to Poverty Flat Road, then followed the Creekside Trail, which I didn't mean to follow. I actually went the wrong direction when I got to Poverty Flat Road, and so I took a different trail than I had meant to take. And it was then on the Creekside Trail where I sat down and realized my back was having serious issues and that I needed to I needed to head back to the car and cut the trip short. So from there, I took the China Hole Trail to Manzanita Point, which is a pretty good uphill hike, and then followed Manzanita Point Road back to the park headquarters. I would guess that I covered around 14 miles or, I don't know, 22, 23 kilometers. I had hoped to camp the second night at a place called Willow Ridge Camp, so I hope to do that in the future. Henry Coe is another place I'll do an episode on someday. As I mentioned, there are opportunities to hike there of up even to a week of hiking, which includes the remote Oristimba wilderness section of the park, which Tony and I actually hiked one time for a few days, but from a different entrance to the park. In any event, Henry Coe, great place to go in late winter, early spring. And despite my back really bothering me on that particular trip, I did get in a pretty good hike and saw some parts of the park I hadn't been to before. All right. In March, I hiked the Ohlone Trail, which is a trail in the East San Francisco Bay. I did this hike solo, and I won't go into too much depth here because you can hear all about it in episode 28, where I covered my west to east through hike of this trail, which is about 28 miles in distance from Fremont to Livermore. If you haven't listened to that episode, I'll give you a few quick highlights. It was a pretty windy first day and a windy and rainy first night, which presented some interesting challenges. I was pretty worried about my tent coming apart, but it didn't. I actually ended up camping next to the snow on the second night. I found a patch of dry ground without snow. It was pretty cold, but it really wasn't a problem. This hike only comes in contact with civilization once, where you cross the Sonol parking area. There's a nearby road that you cross there. So within about 10 minutes, you cross a road and then a parking lot of a regional park. But that's it. Otherwise, you get 28 miles of pretty much wilderness hiking, even though you're still in the Bay Area. This trip is also a spring hike. But unlike Henry Coe State Park, this trip can also be done in the fall because there are some year-round water sources and there are wells installed at some of the designated camping areas. 
I previously hiked a big section of this trail in the fall in October, uh, many years ago. So I know it can be done. So if you are thinking about the Ohlone Trail, listen to episode 28, and it's a fall or spring hike. That brings us to April. In April, my wife and I went to the Grand Canyon, and we hiked the South Kaibab Trail to the Grand Canyon floor and the Bright Angel Trail back up. We spent a full week on this trip, which was fantastic. Like a lot of people, my prior experience with the Grand Canyon was driving in, looking over the rim, and driving away. But this time we did it right. I had wanted to hike to the bottom of the Grand Canyon for years and years, and we finally did it. And we did it without having a permit in advance, and permits are really hard to get. So how did we make that happen? Well, you have to listen to episode 30 to find out how we did it and how you could do it too. This was a three-day, two-night hike, but it also included three nights of car camping at the Grand Canyon and a night on the way in and the night on the way out in Laughlin, Nevada, because the Grand Canyon is a long trip from the Bay Area by car. So we made it a two-day drive each way. So listen to episode 30 if you want to hear all about that trip. That brings us to May. So for a while, I'd been wanting to hike the Lost Coast. This is a trail along the Northern California coast, pretty far north in California. It's an interesting place because if you look at a map of California and you follow the coastal highway, Highway 1, it pretty much hugs the coast through most of California. But there is one section where it goes a bit inland because the coast is pretty rugged and there's no road whatsoever and that is the Lost Coast. It's really the untamed wild part of the Northern California coast. And there's a great backpacking trip that you can do there where you go along the bluffs and beaches. It's typically done from north to south over three days. This is an area with rough seas, unpredictable weather, and you have to plan your hiking around the tides. There are black bears that come down to the beach, so you have to bring a bear can. This was the second year in a row that I had obtained a Lost Coast permit. The way this works is on October 1st, you reserve for the following summer for mid-May and beyond the following year, and permits go fast. So the prior year, I had gotten a permit and I was going to go in May, but it was my son's senior year of high school, and he played baseball in high school, and his junior year had been cut very short because of the pandemic. So he'd only played a few games before the school year was canceled, essentially. And I had been watching my son play baseball since he was very young. I'd coached him many years. And it was something that was important to both of us. And so I decided that it was much more important that I go see his games than go on a hike. So I let that permit go. And I did do that. I went and saw every one of his senior high school games. He had a great season. And it was worth it, and I'm glad I didn't do the hike a couple of years ago. In any event, the trail still beckoned, and I got a permit to do it this last May. And I was ready to go. I had reserved a car camping site that we were going to stay in the night before. My friend Tony Wong was going along with me on the trip. I had paid for an expensive shuttle to get from the south end where our car camping site was and where we would leave our car to the north end of the trail a big chunk of which was non-refundable. And then my wife and I got COVID. 
and we had to cancel. And I wasn't able to do it. In this past October, I forgot to reserve a permit. So I still haven't gone. And I don't have a permit for this year. And I didn't do a multi-day hike in May. So was I still able to get in 12 hikes? Maybe. Stick with me and we'll see. So let's move to June. In June, I went hiking in the Trinity Alps. The Trinity Alps are a beautiful alpine mountain range in the northwest corner of California. They're really rugged. There's a lot of space, a lot of great places to go. And the elevation is actually a bit lower than in the Sierra Nevada, California's biggest mountain range. So altitude is never really an issue. I love to go to the Trinity Alps every June if I can. There are very few mosquitoes for some reason. Knock on wood that that continues. The snow melts a bit earlier than in the Sierra, so you can get in there before you can in many places in the Sierra. And from where I live, it pretty much takes about the same amount of time to drive there as it does for me to drive to most of the areas I hike in in the Sierra. So as a result, the Trinity Alps are a great place to go in June. I pretty much go there every June, as I said. I again went solo on this trip. And let me stop there for a second and just say that I'm not going solo every time because I want to go solo. A lot of times I just can't find somebody else available to go with me. And so I'm just going to go anyway, of course. There are times, though, when I do like going solo. And when nobody else is available to go with me, I really don't mind it at all because I really enjoy solo trips. I've talked about that on other episodes but I just thought I'd mention it again here. This again was a three-day, two-night trip. And the route I took was the Swift Creek Trail to Mumford Meadow. This one started out a bit rough. I got rained on on the way in, and then the rain turned to hail. And I was actually going to hike past Mumford Meadow, but decided to stop when I started getting hailed on. The next morning, I did an out and back to Horseshoe Lake, which is a few miles past Mumford Meadow. And I got snowed on while I was up there. Uh, So there was all kinds of weather on this one. I then came back down and took the Bear Basin Trail to Bear Basin, which is a beautiful spot. Big meadow looking onto a, you know, a sort of cirque of mountains. When I was in Bear Basin, not surprisingly, I saw a black bear. I watched it for, I don't know, it could have been an hour or two where I just sat and watched this bear It was pretty far off in the distance, but I could watch it foraging for berries, I think, in the brush. And then it did the coolest thing. The bear went and started going up the side of the granite on the side of the meadow. And I was wondering what it was up to. And then it climbed up on a rock. And as the sun was going over the mountains, the bear just laid down and watched the sunset, which for me was just a fantastic moment. And one that sort of shows the the common, I would say the common humanity, but of course this is not another human, but the common experience that let's say at least mammals might have. And uh, really, really was a special moment for me. Although, of course, it then it made the rest of my evening a little bit tense because I wasn't sure where the bear was going for the evening, but I never saw him or her again. So it was a great trip. All in a weekend, I had rain, hail, snow, a bear, mountain meadows, lakes, alpine passes, granite peaks, forest. 
So if you couldn't tell, this is a place I love and I keep coming back to. I guess I should mention that after coming out of Bear Basin, I went over, I think it's called Seven Up Pass, and then down by Granite Lake and connected back with my original trail to get back to the car. So it was sort of a lollipop loop. There will also be an episode on the Trinity Alps someday. It's really a great place. And although it's not a secret, it can get busy up there. I do find that I'm surprised how many people haven't heard of it or been there. All right, so we've gotten halfway through the year. At this point, I've gotten five trips in. So before I finish the episode, I'd like to take a moment to talk about our sponsor for the show, Outdoor Herbivore. Outdoor Herbivore makes delicious vegetarian and vegan backpacking meals. Though, as I always say, you don't need to be a vegetarian or a vegan to love them. They're made with quality ingredients. They have lots of calories to satisfy a hungry hiker. And they are really well packaged in packaging that's easy to pack, meaning the packaging itself is not too big. And the meals can be boiled in the bag directly, meaning that you pour boiling water into the pouch, seal it up, and your dinner is ready in 10 minutes. I really enjoy the chickpea sesame zeti. I love the lemongrass Thai curry. I love the blackened quinoa. I love the naked freckled burrito. I could go on and on, as I sometimes do, about outdoor herbivore. So to give them a try, you can go to outdoorherbivore.com and enter the discount code TWH10P, Trails Worth Hiking 10%, to get a discount of 10% on your order at Outdoor Herbivore. Outdoor Herbivore supports the show, so please support them. I should mention also that Outdoor Herbivore ships worldwide, so even if you don't live here in the United States, you can order Outdoor Herbivore backpacking meals. Outdoor Herbivore at OutdoorHerbivore.com. Okay, we're on to the second half of my year and my attempt to do 12 backpacking trips or 12 outdoor adventure trips, I should say, in one year. July. July was not a backpacking trip. In July, my wife and I hiked the West Highland Way in Scotland, in the Scottish Highlands. And I covered that hike on episode 32. My wife Andy and I hiked with two good friends of ours. We hiked the roughly 100 miles or 160 kilometers of that trail in nine days. The hike starts in the lowlands in the suburbs of Glasgow and takes you from there to the shores of Loch Lomond, Great Britain's largest lake, and then through the Scottish Highlands to Fort William, all in kind of a northwest trajectory. It's a wonderful hike. Listen to episode 32 to learn all about the hike and a little bit of Scottish history. After the hike, Andy and I also visited other tourist sites in Scotland, like the Isle of Skye, Loch Ness and Inverness, and of course, Edinburgh. This was our first international trip since the pandemic, and it was really motivating for us to get back out and do more international trips again. We've since gone to Costa Rica and have booked other international trips to come. Though I am quickly going to run out of vacation time from work but that will be because I'm having a great time, not because I don't get enough vacation time. I do. So to hear about the July trip, a wonderful guest house to guest house kind of trip in Scotland, check out episode 32. All right. In August, we went to Mammoth Hot Springs, which is a resort town in the eastern Sierra Nevada. 
The eastern side of the Sierra Nevada is really beautiful with reddish granite, alpine scenery, lakes, lots of groves of aspen trees. Check out the Benson Lake episode to get a sense of the area. The other thing, though, about the eastern side of the Sierra is that it is also very high in elevation and you get to high elevation very quickly. The way the Sierras are built, they rise steeply out of the high desert in the east and they slope from east to west. So you start out very high up when you hike on the eastern side. During the pandemic, we spent a week at an Airbnb in Bridgeport, California, also on the eastern side of the Sierra and did a lot of hiking up there which I also mentioned in the Benson Lake episode, if you want to hear about that. So August is prime Sierra Nevada season. So why didn't I take a big backpacking trip in August and not just a long weekend staying in Mammoth? Well, this was because of personal family reasons. My Aunt Rosie had passed away a while ago. And when my Uncle Larry had met her decades ago, she was living in Mammoth. And she had loved it there and wanted her ashes spread there. So my uncle and cousins were going to Mammoth, and Andy and I met them there to support them in this and to help remember my aunt. We stayed in an Airbnb condominium, but we did get in some great hiking. We hiked the first day to Duck Pass, which is a challenging day hike to the Sierra Crest. It's almost up to 11,000 feet in elevation and has beautiful views deep into the Sierra Nevada to the west and into the desert to the east. It's probably about a 10-mile round-trip hike going into the John Muir Wilderness. There's lots of beautiful lakes that you pass by on the hike and that you can see from the crest. I had been in this area before on the John Muir Trail on the other side of the, the pass, which is really only a couple of miles from Duck Pass. We hiked the first day with my uncle and my cousin Heather. My uncle, by the way, is in his mid-70s and had no problem with the distance, the elevation gain, or the altitude. He has been a cyclist and a cross-country skier his entire adult life, and he continues to do both of those things regularly. My uncle is living proof that you don't need to stop doing what you love as you get older. I've actually been backpacking with him twice in the last several years. He even bought a new backpacking tent recently, so he has no intention of stopping anytime soon. The next day, we were joined by my cousin Haley, who lives in Europe, but had come home for this occasion. And we went hiking again, also with an old friend of my aunt. I won't say where we hiked that day, but let's just say it was another beautiful alpine location. And there we remembered my Aunt Rosie and honored her wishes. Andy and I really enjoyed a weekend of base camp hiking, staying in a nice condo, and getting to enjoy other nice amenities like the restaurants in the area. Okay. We are on to September. In September, I went with my friend Tony Wong again, and this time my son Justin came along, and we went to the Sierra Nevada, to the Sierra National Forest north of Kings Canyon and Sequoia, but south of Yosemite. So I couldn't rightly let an entire summer season pass without backpacking in the Sierra. On this trip, which was on Labor Day weekend, I had expected to see very crowded hiking, but The place we went to is pretty remote and not that well known. And so there were actually very few people that we saw on the trail. We did a hike on the Woodchuck Trail to a place called Woodchuck Lake. The hike starts at Wishon Reservoir. We did a three-day, two-night hike of almost 30 miles, so roughly 50 kilometers. 
The first day was basically a nine-mile straight uphill hike of more than 3,000 feet of gain, which was pretty punishing, particularly because the weather was pretty hot, but I still loved it. One thing about Woodchuck Lake that I loved is it has a sort of hand-built wooden toilet with a fantastic view. I recommend going to Woodchuck Lake for that alone. The second day we hiked down to Half Moon Lake, which is on the edge of getting to an area that's pretty remote, but was still accessible on a side trip as part of our route. And we had Half Moon Lake entirely to ourselves for lunch and swimming. We camped the second night at Chimney Lake, which we also had to ourselves and had great campsites. Again, keep in mind, this is one of the busiest holiday weekends of the year, probably the busiest for backpacking in the Sierra. Maybe it was the heat that kept people away. I don't know. Maybe people forget that when you get to higher elevations, the heat is actually pleasant because it's not as hot. But I think it also just reminds me that even in California, if you are willing to hike nine miles uphill with a pack on, you can get to an area with beautiful alpine scenery and have it mostly to yourself. So this trip was great, and Tony and Justin and I had a lot of fun. All right, there was actually a second trip in September that I'll tell you about. My daughter Sonia had spent her final quarter of college in what is called a field quarter, camping with a group of students in different University of California-owned nature reserves as part of her studies for her environmental studies major. And one of those reserves was in the woods in Mendocino County in Northern California, a few hours north of the San Francisco Bay Area. This is an area that's a little bit in from the coast up in the mountains. When she was there, she had gotten to know the caretaker of the reserve. And this is a man who had lived there for a long time. His family had actually donated the reserve to the University of California. And she kept in touch with him. And later when he was traveling internationally, he needed a house sitter. So she agreed to house sit one weekend of the time he would be away. And she invited me to come along. So we got to spend two nights in a quaint cabin in the woods. We did some great hiking and relaxing. But I have to admit, we only hiked one day. So it was a second September trip. It had the overnight component, but not multiple days of hiking. So it didn't quite meet my criteria and make up for missing the month of May. But it was nonetheless a great opportunity to spend some time in the wilderness with my daughter. Now that she's out of college and living and working on her own, that may become a rarer opportunity but I'm glad she still invites me to come on adventures with her, at least sometimes. In October, I went back to the Sierra Nevada. Okay, I realize I can't get enough of the Sierra Nevada. This time it was a solo trip of three days and two nights to Rancheria Falls in the Hetch Hetchy part of Yosemite. As I'm sure you know, Yosemite National Park is one of the gems of America's national park system. I've talked about it on two episodes before, in episode 12, covering the Benson Lake Loop, and episode 18, covering Half Dome and Clouds Rest. But this is in a different part of the park. This is in the Hetch Hetchy area, which is a reservoir in the western lower elevation section of Yosemite. The Hetch Hetchy Reservoir provides San Francisco its drinking water. It's a reservoir built by a dam on the Tuolumne River. And this is a dam that John Muir fought against, but wasn't able to stop it from being built. He thought the Hetch Hetchy Valley rivaled Yosemite Valley in its beauty. And for most of us, we'll never know. O'Shaughnessy Dam was completed in 1934. 
But there's a trail along the side of the dam to Rancheria Creek, where there's a cascade called Rancheria Falls that's really beautiful, about six miles in. There's lots of great camping there. And I went to Rancheria Falls and the Hetch Hetchy area because it was October, and I thought that it would be too cold at the higher elevation parts of the park, but it actually turned out to be pretty warm. I guess that's the way it's going to be going forward, isn't it? I saw a young bear that walked between me and my tent when I was going down to get some water. Strangely, the bear never saw me. It just walked right past. I froze and it just kept going. I had been to Rancheria before, but I wanted to make the trip a little different. So the second day of the trip, I did a day hike up to the Tiltill Valley. I could have made this trip into a loop hike to Lake Vernon, which is a place I've been to before, but I decided against the loop because I actually injured my toe in camp. I ended up kicking a rock that I had put on a tent stake to keep my tent from blowing away. Uh, And my toe eventually ended up infected and I later needed antibiotics. So there was a lesson there. Even in a dry climate where infection is rare, you got to take good care of an open wound, which I didn't. Especially one on your feet because there's going to be a lot of dirt that's going to get into your shoes. Anyway, the day hike to the Tiltill Valley was really a great part of the trip for me because it was new to me. Just for future reference, there aren't great campsites in the Tiltill Valley, so I'm actually glad I didn't camp there. I'd thought about doing that. But instead, I spent two nights at Rancheria camped in a great open spot up above the falls in the granite. The falls were barely running, by the way, because it was October of a dry year. But it was a pleasant creek this time of year rather than a gushing cascade, which I enjoyed. And I'd seen the gushing cascade in past years. Rancheria Falls is a good place to go actually as early as April. And midsummer, it's generally too hot to be there. So it's kind of a late spring, early fall place to hike. Okay, let's move to November. Getting close to the end of the year. I hope you're sticking with me. In November, I did a solo trip again. This time I went to the Ventana Wilderness and did a hike into Pine Valley. This was just a two-day trip, one night. The Ventana Wilderness is a really wild wilderness that's up behind Big Sur on the Central California coast. It's really one of the wildest places I've backpacked. Not on this particular trip, but in other parts of this wilderness. This is in the Los Padres National Forest, which we covered in episode 34 on the Condor Trail. So this time I took the popular Pine Ridge Trail downhill from China Camp to Pine Valley. There was already snow on the trail at higher elevations, though there was very little water when I got down to Pine Valley, and it was very cold. Pine Valley, though, is a wonderful spot with plentiful camping. It's about a six-mile hike each way. I had actually been wanting to go for a long time to Sykes Hot Springs, which has been closed for several years due to a forest fire several years ago that ruined the trail. And you can get there from the Pine Ridge Trail, but I didn't make it there on this trip because it's a lot further hike. I'm hoping to get there from China Camp or from the other direction from the Big Sur Coast. Eventually, maybe that'll be this year. So I had a good hike and enjoyed it despite the cold and was able to do it over the course of a weekend. And that brings me to December. One of the things that's difficult in November and December in most areas, including even here in the Bay Area, is that you just start running out of daylight quickly. So you end up spending a lot of time in your tent if you do go backpacking. And you don't have a lot of time to do actual hiking. So it can be kind of dark and cold this time of year. 
So I decided, like I had in January, to do a coastal hike in December. And I decided to hike the Dipsy Trail in Marin County from Mill Valley to Stinson Beach. The Dipsy Trail is a famous trail running trail. It has one of the oldest trail running events in the U.S. It's a seven-mile hike each way. And it's a beautiful hike that starts out with insane steps going up out of the town of Mill Valley. Just these crazy stairs going up and up and up and up through a neighborhood until you get into a more wilderness-like area. You follow that by traversing some redwoods, including through the edge of Muir Woods, which is a national monument full of some huge redwoods. Although you don't really go through the big redwoods on this hike. You go through some more average-sized ones, and then you skirt the edge of the Muir Woods monument. Then you reach some open chaparral with ocean views. You go through some deep, lush creek canyons. And eventually you reach Stinson Beach, which is a small town on the beach. A lot of people do the double dipsy, meaning they go both directions in one day as a long day hike. But because it was a time of year where that would have been hard to do on the daylight, and also I wanted to do an overnight trip, of course, uh, I did it as a two-day, one-night trip. I ended up staying in a tent cabin that I found through Airbnb. It was in the backyard of a house right by the beach. It was, I think, three doors down from the beach, so you could hear the waves very loudly. And it was so close to the beach that I walked along the beach to get into town to go to dinner and breakfast rather than taking the road. And one of the things I was doing with this hike, besides taking advantage of the opportunity to have a little bit nicer accommodation in a time of year when it's dark and cold, even though it was still basically a tent, uh, though it was a tent cabin with heat. But one of the things I was doing with this hike was to test the theory that I could do European style sort of hut to hut or town to town hiking like I had done on the West Highland Way or the Tour de Mont Blanc or in Nepal or Ecuador, other places where I've hiked. And I wanted to see if that's something that could work here. And that was partly why I decided to do this hike where I could reserve an Airbnb and turn it into a multi-day hike. It's sort of a proof of concept. And I do think it does work here. And I think there are places where you can do that kind of hiking in the United States and I'm excited to try more and more longer hikes that might go from town to town uh, in the future. It just gives me uh, additional flexibility, I think, in planning hikes to be able to do it that way. And it might create more hikes that I can do with others who might not be comfortable camping. So that was it, my 12 hikes in 12 months. And how did it work out? Well, let me go through some of the final stats. So first, who did I go with? Well, half the time I went solo. I did do a few trips with friends and a few with family, three of them with my wife, one with each of my kids, if you include the Mendocino trip. I did less trips with other friends. In other words, I stuck to hiking with friends I've hiked with for a long time. Uh, the Kinsels, who we hiked the Tour de Mont Blanc with, we hiked in Scotland with, and Tony Wong was on two of the trips as well. And these are people I've hiked a lot with, most years I do hike with people I haven't hiked that often with or hike in a group. I like to vary it. I like to bring new people along. But maybe because of being focused on my mission here, I ended up hiking with family and friends that I'd hiked with a lot before. Solo trips definitely dominated the calendar. It's just easier to go alone because it's hard to schedule around others. And of course, as I've said, I like hiking alone, though it's a different experience. And I do like hiking with friends and family as well. 
The trips were in lots of different kinds of locations. I hiked coastal bluffs. I went on the beach. I hiked coastal mountains, oak savanna, coast range hills, desert, alpine areas, did an international trip with an entirely new environment of moors and Monroes. So I covered most kinds of terrain that are out there that I might see pretty much anywhere. I hiked in national parks, state parks, regional and local parks, designated wilderness areas. I hiked in different states. The Grand Canyon is in Arizona, of course, in a different country, Scotland. I did through hikes. I did loops. I did pretty common routes. I did routes that I designed. My accommodations were varied, though camping trips dominated the schedule. Eight of the trips were camping. The Lost Coast, in fact, would have been nine. So the majority was backpacking rather than hut-to-hut kind of hiking. But it also did include an international trek with guest houses and hiking uh, with Airbnbs involved, including a tent cabin on the beach. The time on the trail was from two to nine days, with two being the shortest and nine days being the longest. Most of the trips, though, were long weekends, pretty much three-day trips. That was about half the trips, including Henry Coe, which was planned for three days, even though he ended up doing two. I really find that a three-day trip is where you get the most bang for your buck, where you can take only one day off of work or even no days off on a holiday weekend and get in significant miles and two nights on the trail. So that's a great place to be for getting in a quick hike without too much sacrifice from the rest of your life. What are some lessons I learned? One is I like hiking solo. I guess I already knew that. But I also learned that I like even more hiking with my wife or kids if they're up for it, or even my friends, if it's a friend that I'm sure I can hike well with. It's great to have someone to share a trip with, and it creates lasting memories, so who better to go with than your own family? I also learned that I do need the Garmin inReach or some equivalent emergency device going forward, particularly on solo trips. This year of trying to do 12 trips also reinforced that I love doing different kinds of trips, and there's lots of way to do trips. Backpacking is great, but so is European-style trekking. And you can design trips in your own area by connecting trails to any kind of accommodation you can find. I also found that there are real benefits to doing a trip this often. You stay in a pretty positive mental space throughout. You dial in your approach and your gear. You're not just pulling out the dusty pack in the summer. You learn to deal with more types of weather. You stay in good physical shape year-round. You start going to the places you've been talking about going for years just because there's so many trips. And you start generating more ideas for future trips. And I have to say the biggest takeaway for me from this experience is that this is not just something I want to do for a year. This is how I want to live. So I've continued to plan monthly multi-day outdoor adventures. In January, my wife and I did a cross-country ski weekend, staying in Airbnbs, but doing two full days of cross-country skiing. No, it's not backpacking, but it's getting out for long, hard, back-to-back days on the trail. And we had planned to do the same in February, but the weather intervened and we decided to cancel a multi-day cross-country ski trip in February. So I think it does matter that I have a challenge to myself to make me get in the trip no matter what, because I wasn't actually able to do a trip in February. But I am continuing to plan more trips more often. And it's brought me back to thinking about what I really get out of hiking trips. 
I love the beauty and discovery and exercise and meeting people. And yes, the natural settings and the fresh air. But I also enjoy long walks, even in urban spaces. I don't see a lot of difference between exploring a new city and a new wilderness. They both make me come alive. And my wife and I are taking and planning more international trips again. Like a lot of people who have time and money to do it, I suppose. We're having sort of a post-COVID travel spending spree. And not all those trips are going to include wilderness hikes or treks or camping. But they're all going to be novel and exciting. And just thinking about them really does make me feel alive. If this show and this episode have done anything, I hope it's to show you that you can get out and have an amazing adventure a half hour from your own home at almost no expense, like I did on the Ohlone Trail. Or you can take an international trek in a country entirely new to you, like we did in Scotland, which included exploring cities. And you can do everything in between. And there you have it. Did I actually make it and complete what I set out to do and do 12 hikes in 12 months? I think if you go by the rules the way I set them, I guess I didn't. I had to cancel the May trip when I got COVID. And the September trip with my daughter, which was the second trip in September, only had one day of hiking. So by my own rules, I didn't actually complete it. But like a lot of things, it's really the journey that counts. And I really enormously enjoyed the effort. So I hope I've inspired you to hike a trail, any trail. Go ahead and make your own route and head out the front door. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend about it. Or better yet, give us a good review on whichever podcast service you use. And keep in mind that this podcast is entertainment and meant to spark your interest. If you decide to hike one of the trails we talked about, do your own research. Like anything else worth doing, outdoor adventure has risk. So when you go, pack your common sense. And when you get back, tell me how it went. Next time on Trails Worth Hiking, we go on a world-class mountain backpacking adventure that circles a massive mountain lake. Over more than a week, we'll hike more than 165 miles. But a good portion of this trail isn't even in a remote wilderness. It instead dips in and out of one of the busiest resort areas of the western United States. So on some days, you might even be able to grab pizza and a beer along the trail, if that's your thing. Next time on Trails Worth Hiking, we travel the Tahoe Rim Trail around Lake Tahoe in the Sierra Nevada Mountains of California and Nevada. If you have any questions or feedback on this episode or ideas for future episodes, including if you want to be a guest and talk about a trail that you've hiked, reach out to me at trailsworthhiking at gmail.com. So start planning your next hike. And before you know it, you'll be on the trail. Thanks for listening.